0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another boardroom out of office. Today, I'm in my office talking to somebody very close to my heart. Please welcome to the show my dear friend, entrepreneur, CEO, team sports owner, and Philly's own, Mr. David A. What's up, my man? What's up, brother? Thanks for having me. Thank you. We've been talking about this for quite Long some time. Long time. Yes. Long time. Thanks for uh, fitting it in. Of course. The The... The thing that I always enjoy when I'm able to interview somebody that I'm friends with is I do like a tiny bit of research. It's like a a gloss over quick right before and then I'll pick like one or two things out. And the first thing that kind of like stuck out to me was how early your hustle and this like thought process of trying to make money kicked in. And then also thought about the fact that you and Michael Rubin are best of friends and in some ways very similar in when in your life, you guys both started thinking in that mindset, what was it for you that triggered that um, at a young age? And and then with that question, talk to me a bit about this famous mentor that you had as a young person as well, who I've had a chance to meet, um, Alan Horowitz, because I know that a lot of times people ask me if there was a mentor or someone that I had as a young person, and there really wasn't one. It was like observing a ton of people, but it feels like this early hustle that was ingrained in you, you did have a mentor of sorts.
1: I did, yeah, and then as far as Ruben and I go, I think it must have been the Philly water, you know, right? Definitely. Um, so yeah, so my hustle, you know, the story for me is, uh, I was about uh, 10 years old, family friend, Alan Horwitz, uh, the guy you call your uncle who's not really your uncle. Um, I'm playing basketball with him one day. And I guess, I'm you know, 10 years old, I said, I bet I can beat you. He said, I'm gonna teach you about betting. And he, most people let, a kid win he kicked my ass right like who I don't know like who does that right <laughs> yeah. but you know he literally didn't let me win and I wound up losing my basketball my football my baseball glove and my bank book your little savings bank
0: book this is a ruthless man he is crazy. and
1: he's still yeah, he's almost 80 now and he is still really fucking competitive <laughs> okay um and so I had to go down to his office campus apartments and stack lumber every week to earn one of the items back and my parents, I'm like 11 years old. Yeah, I'm 10 or 11. And my parents are like, this is good character building. And he's into it. So literally, like, I'm sweeping sawdust as a little kid. I'm moving shit around. And uh, I, I'd earned something back. You know, two years later for my bar mitzvah, I have $2,000. And my parents are like, oh, do you want to give it to your uncle or someone else or cousin who's a stockbroker? And I'm like, no, I want to give it to Uncle Alan and do what he does. <laughs> and my parents thought I was out of my fucking mind. They're like, you want to do what? I'm like, yeah, I want to do what he does. And so literally, I got in the car with him. Drove around his properties around the University of Pennsylvania where he started the business. And he's like, well, which building do you want to invest in? I'm like, drive around. And I, I finally say, stop. I said, that one. And he's like, well, why that one? It was the biggest building. So I didn't know. I was like, I want to own the biggest one he had. Um, literally, I hand him $2,000 in cash. And you know that started my uh, career in uh, real estate. That's... I literally, yeah, he just put put me to work and taught me the business and uh yeah, I do want you to know my gambling
0: problems in check now. I'm good.
1: So, we don't <laughs> have any there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um it's that's amazing story and I you know, I think like you'll hear a story like that. At least I've heard a story similar to that from every successful entrepreneur I've spoken to. It's like the desire that a young athlete or a young artist may have to just follow that dream. It's tough to channel that as a young person. So you wanted to bet because (laughs) that was a way to like get your ROI quickly. I sadly followed that for a long time, (laughs) way too long. Um, But the like ability to decipher and decide at that point in your life that you wanted to invest money in a real estate property is probably what, alone made you a tiny bit different than your peers, right? Similar to Michael. It's like the adrenaline you got from that feeling you probably weren't getting from, from something else. But a lot of times, you know, when entrepreneurs now think about businesses, they want to start the idea of doing a business. That's not flashy at first is like, nah, let me, I, I want to be in film. I want to be in music. I want to be in sports, but then you'll be out in the mix and you'll meet somebody and you'll say like, who's this guy? And they'll be like, Oh, guys worth $10 billion selling office furniture. And you'd be like, well, it seems pretty fresh when you get to (laughs) to be worth $10 billion. Was real estate something that was attractive to you as a kid, or was it about this connection with Alan, the idea that there was a, a roadmap to making money and you just followed that?
1: You know, he broke it down, Alan was the kind of guy, he started buying properties when he was in high school, never went to college, like just, you know, really like, but you give him a pencil and paper and what he can do with numbers even at almost 80 is amazing. And so for me, he taught me a real simple fact about real estate, like the power of leverage. And I mean it like in two ways. One, like bank leverage where you're borrowing money. But two, the fact that your customers are paying your debt. Like a real simple notion, right? Like, you know, you're getting handed rent. You're paying the bank down. You know, you're lowering your cost. You're increasing value of the property. I'm like, this makes so much sense. So it just clicked for me. Like I was like, you know, for some reason. So like, and he was smart. He had me on some, you know, when I was high school, college, maintenance, accounting, like he had me learn every part of the business to like figure out if it was a fit. Um, You know, I thought I was going to go to law school and then like do the business. I never went to law school. I was like, I just want to work. Yeah. Um, And I think the thing about real estate is it allows you to be both an entrepreneur, hands-on operator, and kind of a visionary all at the same time. And and like the truth is, and you could say this about Ruben too, you know, I've known for over 25 years, like I'm not, I don't, I'm not employable. Like, I know that. Yeah. Okay. Like, and so like I had to figure out a path where I could like, you know, I I have like this unique mix of like ADD and OCD. Like I'm really good at things for a short period of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I
0: needed kind of an environment to be able to float in that. I'm going to start using that. I think that's like something that someone should be able to say and be able to say at some point in their journey without it sounding like you're completely lost, which is that you may not be employable. And it's like the same way that, at least for me, I have two girls that are 14 and 10. I didn't go to college. My wife went to Brown. So the idea of having a consistent message to them just on what we did would be confusing, right? Right. Here's someone that prioritized schoolwork. Here's someone that didn't but we both feel like it's more about understanding who you are. So if they believe that school's the route for them and they have a real plan for what they want to do in school or what they want to do outside of school, I'm open to it. The idea of saying early like I may be un- I may be <laughs> unemployable. Yeah. That's probably the perfect description now for myself. Like I would have said that at a young age. Now, I know you can't hire me. You right. won't like me yeah. if you hire me. Um, how do you approach people you hire knowing that now? Like if you see that in them because you want young entrepreneurs around you, but you don't want people around you that believe that they're not employable. Yeah. I think you want
1: people that are willing to work hard. Right. And so depending on what business we're talking about in my world, you know, if it's the real estate business. I might need someone who's employable, who really likes, you know, is good with numbers, focused, can do these things, right? Or really good at construction and project management really organized. But, you know, on my Darko Capital, my family office side, like the stuff we're doing there, like I'm okay with that entrepreneurial spirit. Let's harvest it. Either you're going to do it with me or maybe me and some of my friends are going to back you to do something else,
0: right? And you'll figure that out. Yeah. So the person you look for when you're investing is a completely different skill set than like the workers, the executors that you may hire for... The real estate business.
1: Yeah, I think it has to be. And look, it depends on the business, right? Is it an operating company where you need like a, you know, a guy who's just, or a girl who's just a really great operator, or do you need a visionary where someone's doing something that hasn't been done before? Yeah, Depends.
0: Campus apartments, I guess, you know, we're calling it real estate, but it was a brand as well that you and Alan built. And it was a brand that like, I wasn't too familiar with it until we became friends. It was one of those things where it's like, we had all heard of it. Um through someone that it went to college and, and you just heard it in the background. But the building of the brand um, Campus Apartments was something different than even the real estate. So where were you in that process when you started with Allen? What was Campus Apartments? And when you look at it today, what do you think the, the special like quality was in building that brand that you guys were able to achieve? Yeah,
1: so when I joined Allen, Campus Apartments was just Philadelphia around the University of Pennsylvania. And I joke, I had this kind of vision and I sat down, I said like, I think this could be a national business. And at the time no one had done that. And he's like, you know, I don't know if you want to do that, go ahead. And he was great. Like literally at 26, 27 years old, he's like, you should be the CEO, go do it. And he, you know, to have somebody stand behind you like that is amazing. But I was like, You know, I joke, I'd go to real estate conferences. You'd have the hotel guys, the retail guys, and the office guys, and they wouldn't let me sit at their lunch table because I was just the student (laughs) housing guy, right? Everyone thought it was like, oh, Animal House and all that stuff. And I'm like, keep thinking that. That's great, right? Because, you know, everyone's going to college. You need a place to live. And I was like, you know, real estate's the best get-rich-slow business I've ever seen, right? Slow and steady wins the race, okay? It's, It's not like Bitcoin. It's not like anything else. But for me... I thought the brand of campus apartments was really the promise to three constituents. The student, who's your renter, but that was their first experience, renting an apartment. Uh, you know, you'll see I'm going through that now with my kids in college, signing a lease for them. Um, to the parents, because they're paying for it. Yeah, you're signing and, a lease for them. Right, <laughs> and, well, and, like, you know, as I said to everyone, I say this every year at our national meetings, people, parents are entrusting us with their most valuable possession, their kids. Yes. Like You have to take that really fucking seriously. OK, like their kids are like they're living in our buildings. We're responsible for, them for their health, their safety, their well-being. Their
0: first time living alone.
1: Yeah. And then the next piece is the college and university. OK, like they're a constituent in this. And so I thought a brand was really important. Yeah. I, I thought that was our promise to those three constituents. And so for me, as we scaled and, you know, we're across the country, we house about 25,000 college kids now. Um I can you know we can't we don't stamp out the same product in every market we market because we think the real estate piece is well what are the demographics in that market what are the competitions what amenities does this property need to compete versus that property so we still make it special but you know the branding the customer service the expectations of what the customer should get to me that that's our promise That's amazing man
0: And do you do you feel like the universities and colleges started to see the value in the buy in What I
1: think I think they appreciate us compared to the mom and pop slumlord that still exists in the market. And what's still interesting even today, and you know, I've been at this almost 25 years that it's still a highly fragmented business. Okay. You know, the top 10 to 15 operators maybe control less than 20% of the supply in the country. It's wild. So, so it's wild. And so for me, you know, if you can go out there Treat people well. Treat them with respect. And by the way, that includes your employees. Because I always say to everybody, you know, the difference between my business and you know another kind of customer-facing business is the person who has the most interaction with our tenants isn't the leasing manager who rented you the apartment. It's the maintenance guy yeah. who comes in to fix stuff, right? Yeah. He knows he has more experience in seeing people. He's your front line of defense, right? Yeah. It's kind of like servers in a restaurant, yeah. right? If you train
0: them really well, people have a good experience. They'll come back. They don't care about the maitre d. Yeah hundred percent. It's all front of house. That's 100%. the optics. That's the presentation. So 25 years, um, 1996, right? You started 1997. I started in the business full time. I graduated in 94. So, 94. You know, but, so tell me the stats of campus apartments today.
1: Yeah. So a little bit about, you know, two, two and a half billion of assets, about 25,000, College kids' beds across the country. We're in. It varies between buying and selling. You know, anywhere from we 19 to 22 states. It kind of goes up and down. We're selling. We're buying. We're doing things like that. Um, you know, we build our own product. We buy and renovate and rebrand um, and really look at it. You know, just from like a hands-on perspective of how we can create value both for us. We do operate out of a series of private equity funds now. So how do we
0: make sure our investors feel appreciated? And how do we make sure the students feel like they're getting value? You've gone on, and we'll touch on in a minute, to do so many other um, what one would consider like sexier uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, But you're still in it. You're still in the grind, which I respect. And I just recently got to spend some time with the Suns owner, with Matt Ishbia. Um, And I asked him something similar because it's like, You know, for all of us sports fans growing up, like the dream is, oh my God, one day you'll own a sports team, right? And then the last 20 some odd years, I've watched like the Mark Cuban model, where it's like if you buy it, I guess he's on Shark Tank too. But if you buy it, you like sit on the end of the bench and you're in it. Jerry Jones, you're in it. And you are in it but you're also in your other business still and you still seem to be driven and and the same goes for Matt I talked to Matt about his mortgage business and his eyes lit up yeah and I was like my it's unbelievable for someone that successful to still feel the passion about the business they built that was not the sexy business right? right you still seem to have the passion for what your core business is 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 like is it just that it's yours it's your baby or is it just still motivating you to continue to build that
1: I think, one, I've been doing it a long time, so I do feel an attachment to it. Two, you know, we've had employees that have been with us over 20 years plus, right? And so when you build a culture of people, and, and, you know, I said this earlier, like the people in my business are the high touch for our customers. And so, like, having a team and making sure they feel part of something is really important to me. So, like, I get up every day also just working, busting my ass for them, too, like, you know, watching us be able to change their lives has been really meaningful to me. Also watching us, you know, create an industry. You know, when we were in this in the early 90s going national, there was like two or three of us doing this. Yeah. You know, now there's a lot more. Um, you get people coming from other parts of private equity into student housing now. Um, you know, you were on CNBC this morning. You know, John Gray uh, from Blackstone was on after you. And uh, he started talking about student housing as an asset class because they bought the largest public company in the space. Wow. You know, so it's just yeah. interesting how things go full circle.
0: Is that company the biggest in the space? Yeah. Do you think one day you guys will go public? No. And I'll tell you, you know, what I what I say is, you know, I, it
1: goes back earlier, I'm not employable, right? So, you know, do I want to be a public company CEO at this stage of my life? I, I No. No. Right. I could answer that one for yeah, you. Yeah, you know. And, and so, and you know, going public, it has to be for the right reason for the right businesses. So there are other businesses that I'm involved in that have gone public or will go public. And I think it makes sense. Uh, you know, maybe I'll stay more, you know, board level, not CEO. Uh, but I also think like, it depends on your capital structure, what
0: your goals are financially. Um, for campus apartments, we enjoy it being a private company. So 2007, I read, and I'm sure it was before this, but, um, Probably on the early side of this, like, boom in entrepreneurship and boom in in investing and venture. But in 2007, I, I read that you started to venture on your own as more of just an entrepreneur and business mind. What was the, like, early objective in going out? Or was it just that you now had made money and you wanted to continue to see good deals and make money? Because now I see you as someone who's obviously very thoughtful in in everything you've done, your investment approach, your team sports approach. But at that point, was it just, let me get into this world now and learn new?
1: Yeah, I think for me, and mm-hmm. I still feel this way today. I love hearing about other people's businesses. So I have like this voracious appetite to learn. And so like someone will come to me about a business they're doing and it could be anything, you know, and I am like, well, oh, how's that work? Yeah. Right. And I generally get like interested in it. So I think for me, and it comes back to that ADD piece where I was like, Hey, I kind of like this apartment thing. It's, it's going great, but like what else we got? You know? Yeah. And so, um, I think I just have a wide aperture to kind of get involved in a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. and, and, Team sports, was that something, I mean, I, I know you're a big sports fan and you grew up in Philly and as a New Yorker, I, I have a lot of respect for Philly sports fans. I always have. I don't know what Philly sports fans feel about New York, but in general, I've always felt like it, it you could see a Philly sports fan from like a mile away. And you guys love your team so hard. You're unapologetically like hate everyone else. And It feels like everyone in Philly loves at least one team. Like one of the teams is their baby. Were the Sixers, Phillies, Flyers, were you one of those kids growing up? I was. I was. I I, I would say, A... You know, I
1: think Philly fans, you can't replicate them anywhere, okay? And, and like, the passion. I think when it comes to New York, I think there's an appreciation for New York fans, the intensity we probably give, you know, particularly Giants fans, a ton of shit when they come to the Eagles games. I mean, that's probably the worst of it. Yeah. You know, second, probably Rangers fans when they come to, you know, yeah, yeah. To, to Philly, right? Um, not so much like the Knicks-Sixers. I don't see that rivalry as, you know, yeah. in, in the same way. But, um, you know, so for me, like, I, I grew up, you know, I would say, you know, Eagles and Sixers were kind of like where I, you know, really focused the most, you know, I went to Phillies games, went to Flyers games, but I would say those were kind of my two buckets.
0: And, um, when did you first meet Michael?
1: Michael and I met when we were 25. Okay. Literally, you know, we both lived in Philly, both entrepreneurs, Michael and I are literally, well, you know, he, he's, uh, I'm three months older than him. So he likes to say that I'm older than him. Um, you look younger. I agree. So you let's do. make sure your yeah, audience sure agrees that with that. We, that should, fit, we should we yeah. should cut that out and put it out there for him. Um and uh you know so I, I look I look younger A and, but, and better hair. Yeah, well
0: my better right? hair than everyone.
1: So um and so uh you know literally we had heard of each other. You know, Philly's not an incredibly big place when you're kind of break it down and like just two entrepreneurs grinding and then we met and like, you know, we were like, you know,
0: just doing the same <laughs> thing, crazy. you know, just You guys ever look at each other now like What the fuck just happened?
1: Went fast. Yeah. You know,
0: like you, you you think about like, you know,
1: he's been around me for like seminal transactions in my career. I've been there for him, him when he, you know, when he sold GSI and then he took fanatics back and then he did all these add on things. I mean, it's, I mean, what he's
0: done is just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. It's like generational. It is. It's pretty incredible. It is. So one of the big things, um, in your life the last few years has been when you turned to your good friend of 25 years and was able to acquire his stake in um the sixers a was it just the sixers you acquired his stake from and b like talk to me a bit about that process must have been an interesting one i know it was probably bittersweet for michael but made him feel a whole lot better that it was going to you. And for you, was this one of those things where like, you even had to like pause for a sec and realize that you were now an owner of your hometown basketball team?
1: Yeah. So, so i to answer your question. um, I bought a stake in Harris Blitzer sports entertainment, you know, Josh and David's company. And so we have the devils. Uh, We now have a piece of Joe Gibbs racing in NASCAR Um, working on a few other things.
0: Yeah, yeah, tell me the okay. portfolio.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, you think about the stuff that we have here. So, you know, the Devils. Prud- we own the Prudential Center, right? Which is like a great concert venue. Right? You know that, right? Um, you know, so we have obviously Sixers. We have obviously, the, you, know, the, uh, you know, the G League team. You know, independently, we have pieces of Crystal Palace. You know, so we have this whole platform that we're building to really just build, you know, a, a global sports entertainment business. And so, you know, the stake I bought for Michael was in the whole parent company. Um and, and yeah it was probably bittersweet but you know look Michael still you know he comes to Sixers game cheers the same way he did before he was an owner and after he's an owner yeah. like he, he he's the best right so you know he he's there for all of that and for me it was definitely like holy shit I own the Sixers right um because I've been I mean you've come with me to games before right you know it's so like I was always a fan I loved it I loved the action I loved the energy I loved the team um and so now to be like a hometown guy in your hometown is really to me is next level versus just being an owner in you know oh some other town. Right? Yeah,
0: it's 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 kind of be like a daily reminder of just like how hard you worked being in your hometown. I mean, if I owned a piece of the Knicks, my God, man, I, there wouldn't be anyone that I ran into that I wouldn't tell <laughs> yeah. how I got there. Um, so the. Operating of sports teams, operating of campus apartments, totally different animal, right? The media attention, the media attention that comes to you, the politics that gets involved, the just the stakes. Fans. Become, the fans in Philly, especially. Um, tell me a little bit about what Josh and David are like as partners and kind of their complement to one another, because I'm fascinated by how these partnerships work, where you find Two people, three people. And the reason it works perfectly is because without knowing it, there's something that each one of them is missing that the other one is able to fulfill. So what is it about Josh and David that you've seen that they've been so successful and not in their private equity space, but as they've entered into the sports world?
1: Yeah, but you got to give credit to what they've each built in their own private, you know, kind of in their day, I'll call it the day job world of, uh, you know, Josh, you know what he did at Apollo and building that business into you know one of the you know handful of largest global asset managers is unbelievable. Yeah. And you know David, the story career at Blackstone and then you know starting this tech, tech ops vertical that's grown, grown into this monster. Um, so you know just accomplished guys in the way they think as private equity investors and then translate that into sports, right? And so how do you do? How do you kind of? Table the passion because they're both really passionate guys. You watch them cheering at games, like they're in it, right? They're intense. Um, And then, two, like they're both wicked smart, right? So, their ability to really process data and information very quickly, like they see the field really
0: fast. Like beautiful minds. I mean,
1: these guys are really smart, and I learn from them both every day. And for them, they really come at it like, hey, and everyone needs to know this, like Josh and David just want to win. OK, like what do we need to do, whether it's for the Sixers, the Devils, like how do we do it? And, and you look like the Devils had an unbelievable year this yeah. year. Right. And like based on where we you know, kind of bought the team and you know, kind of that rebuild and where they are. And then, you know, look, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the Sixers like we didn't get it done. But like it wasn't for a lack of effort,
0: yeah. a lack of spending money, a lack of commitment to the team. Do you walk in the arena the first day you own the team and like just want them to win a little bit more than you did? hundred <laughs> percent
1: and what I've learned. So everyone says, what's it like being a sports owner? And I'm like, it's really great when you're winning. Yeah. It's not good when you you're feel not winning. it. Yeah. When you're winning in that energy, walking through the concourse and people are like, what's up? You know, like I, I love it. Yeah. Okay when you're not doing well and this is about Philly fans, you know, cuz I appreciate the passion and my twitter's getting blown up with like, you know, <laughs> it's a different animal. Oh
0: man, there's no mercy even if you're even though I'm from Philly. Our Philly fans like so let's just like, set this straight cuz you've been in every arena by yep. this point. It feels like it's become unanimous like that Philly fans are the most ruthless, right? Is that is that the feeling? I mean, yeah, is it ruthless or
1: passionate because like there's the energy they bring, okay? And I think people think they're... I mean, look, you know, people talk about the Eagles fans, you know, throwing snowballs Snowballs. at Santa's, you know, and like, look, like I remember as a kid being at an Eagles game at the old stadium, like Veterans stadium, and that thing was a piece of crap. But like being in the bathroom and some guy walked in in a 49ers jersey and people were like, let's beat the shit out of that guy. I was in the bathroom (laughs) and I was like a kid. I'm like, holy shit. Um, But I I do think that our fans are just so passionate. They want to win. And what's interesting is even though they get pissed at our players, they're really loyal to our players. Like in, in any given sport, like they might give them a hard time yeah. when, at a moment. So, like I don't know if it's ruthless, but it's certainly passionate. It's certainly like like they hold us to, as owners to a high standard, right? Yeah. They hold the players and the team to
0: a high standard. And yeah, and they let. I mean, listen, you walk in with a Niners jersey. Yeah, I'm not saying you should get your ass right, whipped, but, like, but like you're gonna get shit. Yeah, it's not for nothing. Yeah. Right. Um been a lot of attention around uh what you're trying to accomplish in philly uh we've covered it as your friend we've talked about it and i know that this has been something that has been you know struggle for you because you want to do good by the city of philly i think that anyone that knows you knows that no one loves their hometown and has a like philanthropic instinct about their hometown like you do yet this has become an issue for you um how are you tackling this what is your mindset currently and you know what do you think you need to do to overcome this challenge
1: yeah one to your point
0: like you know building this arena
1: and giving us a new home a that's exciting in its own right but b for me where we've picked it in downtown philadelphia you know kind of literally the heart of center city if you know it on market east which was the heart of the department store was invented in Philadelphia. So this Carter called Market East, literally in the turn of the century, had 11 department stores. Okay. And I have pictures of how it was the center of commerce. And today, if you walk down this street, one side of the street is boarded up retail in the heart of center city, two blocks from city hall where William Penn is and everything else, it's boarded up. And the other side is a mall that's three blocks long that is not living up to its full potential. And so what I like to say is when I, I spent a year and a half trying to find the perfect location for a new home for us and our ability to take a piece of this mall, knock it down. I kind of say I'm taking one box and building a new box on top of a subway station. So
0: when you think about you'd be building the subway station, the subway station's there. Oh, it's right there under the mall. Got it's it.
1: under there. So it's already there. OK, and that subway station has access to 220 stops around the region for people to take the train in okay versus what the current infrastructure is to our current home okay and and so it's day and night so a i'm like holy shit there's infrastructure here that would cost billions of dollars that's already there b if i do this i can then reimagine the mall into something more successful and c does this become the catalyst to redevelop a dead zone on the street which was an important part of philadelphia for a while a hundred percent it was the center of the city it was the center where business was done and is it Crime-ridden now. It is. It, it, it's crime-ridden. It's dark. It's desolate. It's unsafe, um, and it lacks energy. And so, for our ability to build this one point three billion dollar arena in the heart of Center City, and as I say to like all our fans, and you know, I'm I'm getting a ton of shit, and we've talked about this privately that like that's been the hardest part here is like, yeah. holy shit, I literally was like this naive that I'm like, oh my god, Josh, David, and I are going to build. A privately funded arena in Philadelphia, when none of the other buildings in Philadelphia sports complex were privately funded. Okay, they all got some sort of subsidy. Privately funded, take you know, repurposing an area, a mall, like bringing that back to life, creating energy into vacant properties. Like I thought, like people would be like, "Hey, what a great idea, Dave!" And you know, I didn't see all the punches
0: coming. Like, like I just totally, you know, maybe I was just naive, or maybe this is the politics that like. We spoke about that, sadly, still play such a major part in this. And the fact that you're not asking the city of Philadelphia for a dollar, just that alone, considering that I would imagine that 95% of NBA franchises have some relief from city or state. We will be one of only five arena or stadiums in the country privately funded. One of only five. It seems ridiculous. What what do you feel like the um, people of Philadelphia Want or are they divided as well?
1: I think you know. Look, well, we're putting that together right now. I think people Philadelphia more than any other city is not used to change. Okay, like just not used to change. I I see it. So people for fifty years have been going to the sports complex and be like, well, it's really cool. It has all the sports in one site, and you know, that's the way it's been. Well, you know. I used to use a Blackberry and I loved it until the yeah. iPhone came out, yeah. right? Like, and like now I'm really, I love my iPhone. Yeah. And, and so, like, you know, you have to have like change is okay. And then the last thing I say is like, listen, if David Edelman was the first guy to propose a downtown arena, like, you should be really skeptical, okay? 28 of 30 NBA teams play downtown, it's only Philly and Chicago that don't, okay? So, like, it's not like I'm reinventing the wheel here. I'm like, This is a widely acceptable practice where people get excited and then you kind of combat that with the fact that the energy you can create before a game and after the game to support local businesses to me is unparalleled. Okay. I think that, you know, we don't need to open this for eight years. We have a lease in our current building. We're going to honor that lease. I say that all the time and we want to be thoughtful. You know, we have neighbors, you know, to the, to the North in Chinatown. Okay. And, you know, rhetoric was like, oh, we're building this in Chinatown. No one has ever said that this mall was located in Chinatown, okay? Until now. Until now. Yeah. But I'm sympathetic. I want to be a good neighbor. You know, we're offering $50 million of community benefit dollars to invest in neighboring communities. That's the largest community benefits agreement in the history of Philadelphia and one of the largest in the country for a sports and entertainment complex, okay? And the goal there is how can we be a good neighbor? Safety and security, you know, cameras, lighting, cleanliness programs, small business investment. Can we get small, you know, we're, we announced an initiative with the African-American Chamber of Commerce. How can we get small businesses ready to do business with us when we build this project, right? One of the big problems you have in minority-owned businesses, particularly in construction, is they don't have the bonding capacity to float payroll and other payables until you get paid, okay? So we put up, Josh, David, and I are putting up $2 million to help get these businesses ready to do business with us five years from now. Okay. We've made a commitment. You know, we think that the work within the arena should reflect the complexion of our city. Philadelphia is 44% black or brown. Okay. How do we make sure that that reflects the percentage of businesses, supplier-based vendors that do business in the arena on a go forward basis? Okay. So we're trying to do everything right. You know, we're, we want to have discussions with people. Um, and I'm sensitive to the plight of Chinatown because, in particular, they had some really bad things happen there. So yeah. in the 1980s, they built what was called the Vine Street Expressway. It literally cut the Chinatown in half using eminent domain to build a highway, kind of like when Boston did their dig yeah. and all that. Okay? That was terrible. You displace businesses, you displace people. In the 90s, they built the convention center. Same thing happens. They displace using eminent domain and they displace people. Okay? In 2000, they were going to move the Philly Stadium downtown. That would have displaced businesses we are not displacing one business or one resident. We're taking the the box of the mall, building a new box. And so there's just a big difference. And so this big analogy in the press has been, oh, you know, when they built the uh, MCI center in D.C., it decimated Chinatown there. But they used eminent domain to do that. Yeah. And it really did decimate it. Like, I'm sensitive to that. Like, it, it's a shame that happened. This is not that. Yeah. Okay? But I understand people are, like, nervous and untrusting, and so we're trying to engage with the community. We want to do this the right way. Um, but we're also excited about the 9,000 construction jobs we're going to create, the 1,000 permanent jobs, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars of new tax revenue for the school district, the city, and the state, where if I just stay in the current building, it's only
0: money going to Comcast, our landlord. Okay, the big difference. Yeah, and a loud one. Yeah. A very loud difference. You have eight years left in your lease, when would you have to start breaking ground on this project?
1: Goal would be, you know, we're going to look to close on this land. You know, we're working through the entitlement process right now with the city. Hopefully that gets concluded by the end of the year. It really takes a good year, year and a half to plan. And, you know, we have concept drawings. We're designing it, but like engineering, we're building on top of a train station. Very similar to if you've been to Boston, to the TD Garden. Yep. And like I, I'm using that to make sure people in Philadelphia understand. Like, you know, I went to the playoffs in Boston and I'm walking out. I'm like, holy shit, imagine that a train station with a stadium on top, arena yeah. on top. And so, we want to, you know, we want to get the design right. I want to build the best arena in the world in Philadelphia. We deserve it. So, it's going to take time. And so, you know, we'll open up, you know, we need to play be open by 2031. We have plenty of time. You know, we'll start construction, you know, kind of end of 26, something like that.
0: Amazing. Well, the concept behind Boardroom originally was that there were people in the boardroom that maybe some of the most successful people in the world, maybe some of the most creative people in the world, maybe some of the most influential people in the world, but that everyone in this boardroom in the world of sports that I see is coming in there authentically themselves. And I would say that the one thing that I've noticed over the last four years, five years is this mark that you're starting to make for yourself in the sports world. I was so excited when I saw that you bought into Harris Blitzer. And I know that you'll get this done. I know you have a lot in front of you, but I know you will get this done. And I know that everyone in the sports world will be seeing more of David Adelman in the next few years. You're an incredible entrepreneur, incredible CEO. And I really do appreciate, brother, you coming by the show, sitting in with the boardroom. And I'm excited to see what's in store for you in the future.
1: I love it. I look, I love what you're doing here. You and Katie, you guys doing here, you know, with the boardroom and it's really amazing how you've grown this you know kind of the 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 span you have and the fact that like people trust you guys to kind of be like you know the 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 collaboration of culture sports entertainment finance investing like
0: i love what you're doing man man. keep it going thank you brother appreciate you all right guys thanks for tuning in go to boardroom.tv check out david a on the gram sixers not when they play the knicks nets or Suns, but let's go philly